Hi, and welcome to the Bookish Besties podcast. We're excited you're here with us to talk all things books and reading. We are two friends brought together by our love of reading. I'm Diane and adore my beach life in Charleston, South Carolina with my family and dogs. Reading has been a pleasure my whole life. I read to travel when I cannot leave home, to escape when life gets to be too much, to learn even when I'm not in school anymore, and to make new friends on the pages of stories and by talking to those who share my passion. And I'm Mary, a northerner living in the frozen tundra of Madison, Wisconsin. I've been an avid reader for as long as I can remember and make a point to read every day while still balancing the challenges of work and life. My ideal is to be curled up by the fire with the dog on my lap, a glass of wine on the end table, and a good book in my hands. We would be most grateful if you would rate and review our podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thank you so much and happy reading. Hello and welcome to the Bookish Besties podcast. I'm Mary. And I'm Diane. (laughs) And we are two friends separated by distance, but connected by by a love of books. Whew, I couldn't get that one out today. <laughs> we are recording are later than normal on our, we our <laughs> recording time. We might be a little slapstick happy. I'm good, Mary. I am, um, we were just saying it's only Wednesday of Memorial Day week and it feels like the week should be over, but it's Wednesday. Yes. I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, a lot of jam-packed uh, stuff going on here, but it's just really work. Um, things are starting to open up again. I'm, I'm too nervous to like go anywhere actually, (laughs) Uh, like to a restaurant or to get my hair done or anything like that. So, but you know, we're good. Uh, it's been beautiful in Wisconsin, a little bit humid. Uh, but you know, I'm not complaining. It's better than zero degrees and a wind chill of negative 30. So I can't for sure. (laughs) Well, tonight we are going to dive right into our um, topic, which I am super excited about because we're going to talk about Southern literature and that, hence my, hence my sudden burst of accents there. (laughs) Kids always tell me that when I speak to somebody who has a really thick accent, my accent gets thicker. Um, But there's a whole cadre of people in my world, like the people who clean the pool or like, anyway, people who are natives, like generational natives of South Carolina. And I have, my husband has to speak to them. He's from Aiken, born and raised in the South. And I don't even understand what they're saying sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm from, well, I'm from Wisconsin, born and raised. And I used to live in Minneapolis for a number of years when I went to school up there. And it gets, it's a different type of accent. You know, it gets very much like the Fargo. Oh yeah, okay. You know, the, oh, <laughs> it it it's really there. Uh, and even in, in northern Wisconsin, you'll you'll catch it. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. I look, it'll come out for me uh, every now and then when I start talking like about boats and yeah, <laughs> all those double vowels. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, Scandinavian up here. So yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Hmm. Well, that we would, we thought we would start by defining Southern literature. I yes. think, you know, it was funny at our, um, 
Mary, I think the weekend that y'all came down, so there's seven of us really in the Bookish Besties in our little group. There's seven of us and everyone came to Charleston uh, three years ago around that time. Two years ago. Was it only two? It was two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. And we had this, what makes Southern literature? You know, what, does it have to be Faulkner? Is Faulkner the, you know, the benchmark to which all Southern literature is measured? And I don't think that's necessarily true. And Mary's going to talk a little bit about how there is a new wave of Southern writers, but historically Southern literature, according to Wikipedia is defined as the American literature of the South Southern United States by writers from this region. So you have to talk about the South and be from the South, historically. Traditionally, the study of Southern literature has emphasized a common Southern history, the significance of family, a sense of community and one's role within it, a sense of justice and the region's dominant religion, which is Christianity. See also Protestantism, so not to be confused with Catholicism. And the burdens, rewards religion often brings, issues of racial tension, land and the promise it brings, a sense of social class and place, and the use of the Southern dialect. So um, I, there, there's some controversy about writers. Mark Twain, right, wrote mm-hmm. um, about place being strong. And he wrote a lot of characters in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Twain's from Missouri and most people wouldn't consider Missouri the South. So sometimes it's the story and not the author. And sometimes it's the author and not the story because like Truman Capote, who is from Mississippi, the deep South wrote a book. His best known is in cold blood and none of the characters or the place in that story had anything to do with the American South. So, you know, there, right. there's some fluidity on what people consider Southern literature. Um, but I think everyone agrees you either the author or the place at least has to be, doesn't necessarily have to be both, but one or the other. Right. You know, it's interesting because when I was reading ahead of time about Southern lit, you know, there was the deep South, like you had Tennessee, you had Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and so on and so forth as you know, that those considered books that are set there or from there are considered Southern lit. Uh, and then there was like the periphery mm-hmm. and Missouri was one of them, Kentucky. Yeah. But then I was really kind of surprised with Maryland and Delaware. Like to me, those are not Southern. I know. And you know what? I tease my girls because my two youngest girls were both born in, um, outside of Washington, D.C. and Maryland. But that, why it's considered the South is because it's south of the Mason-Dixon line. So Maryland right. fought south in the Civil War. So both of the girls born in Maryland are Southerners. The other kids were born in South Carolina. But um, so it, Virginia, it's easier to see Virginia as being the South. But Maryland and Delaware, I agree with you, don't feel southern the same way virginia does right like when i was reading kindred a few years ago um by octavia butler it takes place in maryland and i mean and i was kind of embarrassed to to know this you know because you know maryland slavery and i or to not know this i should say but the slavery that wasn't happening in maryland at that time around um the beginning of the 18th or i'm sorry 19th century I I didn't know. And it's like, oh, I got to brush up on my Civil War history. <laughs> but, right. um, 
but yeah, I was, I was really kind of surprised by that, that those were kind of the outliers. Yeah. You know, it was interesting speaking of the early 19th century. So um, after American independence in the early 19th century, the expansion of cotton planting and slavery is what kind of distinguished the South from the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And um, social, Southern social society and culture and everything was kind of headquartered in Charleston. Big surprise where I lived during this antebellum period. But um, so it really surpassed as far as churning out writers, it surpassed anywhere in Virginia or the nation's capital or even in New York at the time. There were more stories coming out of the South. And, and, and coming out from Charleston, but I think that is what is inherent for me, for a Southern writer, is that sense of story. One of Pat Conroy's more famous quotes, and Pat Conroy is, you know, the pinnacle Southern writer, in my opinion, of our time, but he says, the most important words in the English language are, tell me a story. And I do think Southerners tell a story like no other. In your mind, who is, I mean, and maybe this is from your, your research, but who is like the quintessential Southern author? So for male, I would say more recent, it would be Pat Conroy. Older mm-hmm. would be Faulkner. Woman, Faulkner, yeah. Women would be Eudora Weltley, mm-hmm. um, Harper Lee, Zora Neale Hurston. Yeah. So those would be the big women writers. You know, there's a lot now that are contemporary women writers. So those are all old, you know, Eudora yeah. Welby in the eight, you know, 1920s and 30s and Faulkner is 30s and 40s. Um, you know who I think F. Scott Fitzgerald and his, his books weren't necessarily Southern, you know, um, the Gatsby's mm-hmm. are in New York, but he tells a story like a Southerner. Yeah. He tells a story I can like see that. Um, what about... I, I got to bring it up, but what about Margaret Mitchell? Oh, for sure. Gone with the wind. For sure. So she wasn't as prolific because, well, neither is Harper Lee, but she kind of is just famous for Gone with the Wind, right? But mm-hmm. um, she, the Margaret Mitchell Center in Atlanta, it's the Margaret Mitchell House and Museum, is one of the centers for Southern literature. So um, oh. people who keep that house have also, a, a, you know, one part of it is specifically a center for Southern literature. There are two others in the United States. One's um, the Library of Southern Lit, which is held housed at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And then the other one is the Pat Conroy Literary Center, and that one's in Beaufort, South Carolina. Okay. So those are kind of the three. Margaret Mitchell and the Pat Conroy Center are more modern in general. And the um, library at UNC is holds works published before 1924. Okay. So I was actually at the Margaret Mitchell Center when I was in Atlanta last. Um, I went with our, our mutual friend to go and visit. And we did like a little tour. We went through the house and then they had, um, there, there was a whole section about the movie Gone with the Wind. And, oh, cool. I would, I yeah. have not been, I would really like to go. Would you say it's worth going, Mary? I think, yeah, I think it's worth going. I mean, it's not, it's not a huge place. When we went, it wasn't incredibly, um, what's the word? It wasn't incredibly packed. Uh-huh. Like, I wouldn't say that. I think my tour group, there was probably like six or seven people in it, but I thought it was a very good tour. I thought 
very informative. Um, they talked about Margaret Mitchell and her life, where she, where she, I mean, it, it, it was like a little, it was, it's small. Don't get me wrong. It's small. And then they add on to it. Kind of like um, if you're ever in Memphis and you go to the Civil Rights Museum, you know, the actual, it's part of the Lorraine Motel. It's, that is a very small part of the entire thing. Right. So, um, and like they add on to it and then you go across the street in Memphis, but mm. uh, in Atlanta, it's, it is one whole property, I should say. Yeah. I think I'm going to put that on my list. I think it's worth going. Yeah. For. Yeah. I, if you're in Atlanta, I think it's worth it. I can't believe I am very remiss that I did not mention Hemingway and Flannery O'Connor, who I also think are iconic <laughs> Southern writers. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Flannery O'Connor. I love Flannery. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's a lot of scuttle that Flannery O'Connor was actually the one who wrote Truman Capote's books. They were neighbors. Really? Mm-hmm. As was Harper Lee. Yes. They were childhood friends. That they is, were all in like, that game. Yeah, and there's a lot in, um, in Harper Lee's hometown, there's a whole museum to her too. I've never been there, which I would love to do that because yeah. I just love, love, love to kill a mockingbird as we have talked about before. But um, yeah, I think I need to go on a tour of all Southern states when we can go mm -hmm. driving again. And Hemingway has a great house in Key West and mm -hmm. he's kind of famous for his five toed cats, which roam all over the property, but it's a beautiful house. Um, but he was obviously very also um, troubled, <laughs> to say the least. To he say had, the least, yeah. He had his demons, but you know, so many of them did. So Pat Conroy had his demons, like so many of them had their demons. And I think a lot of um, writing was cathartic for all of them, kind of to tell right. these stories and to fictionalize a little bit. Things are safer if you say it's a story and not your real experiences. Right. You know, going back to, to Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird is one of my favorite books. Um, in fact, I named my dog after <laughs> the main character. The best Scout is scout. a boy, but yeah. But I mean, like it, it if I could, I, I'd get another dog named Atticus and I get another dog named Boo. You know, I would yep. do that. Yeah. Um, my boyfriend parcel. might have, <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> boyfriend might have uh, concerns about that, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but I was watching this infographic. It was an infographic and then there was also like a, a companion video with it about To Kill a Mockingbird and how it became the most popular book and like how it became so popular. And it was in the 60s when the book came out, that's when mass produced paperbacks started to become a thing. And it just was mass. It was like the first mass produced and it got just proliferated around high school's throughout the United States. And that's how so many people have read it and so many people have. So much more cost effective than a hardback book. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Right, right. And you know, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which we both adore, and Gone with the Wind and so many of yeah. the other books are also not without their controversies. Right. They wrote right. about a time and they lived through a time in the American South when things were very different maybe not different enough. <laughs> we, we haven't come quite far enough as we should, but, um, but they wrote about how it really was. Right. And I think, I think they wrote about it, how, like how it really was 
from their perspective and their the stories that were told because one of the things too about gone with the wind with margaret mitchell you know it, it takes place in the 1860s and then restoration like civil war restoration mm -hmm. uh south and then you know 60 years later this book comes out by margaret mitchell she's so removed from it right but she 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 did lean a lot on the stories that her grandmother told her when she started build like composing this book uh i i don't want i'm as you guys can probably tell i'm being very careful of my words here right, right, uh right. we are um because we want to be respectful to um the fact that they glossed over things and they presented things that probably was not exactly how it should have been presented mm -hmm. uh it doesn't change that that book is you know one of the top southern literature books should it be i don't know um but it, it there's no doubt that that was a very popular book uh and the movie obviously helped fuel that popularity so yeah and i think the same thing happened with um to kill a mockingbird when it came out mm -hmm. as you know with the movie that did such a great job of being true to the book but again um it's funny we were my kids and i were just talking tonight about voter rights and how women haven't had the vote very long it's just it's 2020 so this is the 100th year anniversary of women mm -hmm. having the vote um so so often people who were involved in those stories whether it be the um blacks in the southern blacks who were enslaved or the blacks who you know they didn't have a voice they there were not african-american people weren't writing novels nobody was giving them publishing rights you know so there, right. there was nobody at that time telling their story which would make it seem more balanced we have all these stories by white people um and i think that slowly improving publishing is still a slow turning wheel that we don't have enough books by diverse authors but um they are coming out now you know there's just mercy was a great book hillbilly elegy you know that they, they are telling different stories and it's not just diversity and color of skin it's diversity socioeconomically and diversity of religions mm -hmm. and there are people in the south who are not protestant christians there are you know <laughs> and and there are people in the south who are latinx and who are you know appalachian or and there's a lot of diversity in the the new south right. and i think the new you know some of the younger authors that are writing books about the new south are doing a good job of broadening the perspective right because the 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 makeup the the racial makeup of the south has changed within the last 20 years uh it's it's diverse uh economically it's diverse racially it's diverse and these new books that are coming out now are starting to reflect that diversity so i think that's that's something to keep in mind um you know like any sort of society we evolve and it's reflected in our arts it's reflected in our literature in our music so and yeah it'll be interesting to see who these new who are the new southern lit authors to, right. to watch right so and um man that we haven't talked about one of his books yet but we need to because he's amazing wiley cash has done a lot mm -hmm. um 
and uh, Rick Bragg isn't so new, but um, you know, Rick Bragg is another great one. And we've interviewed a lot of women, you know, the, some of the right. other women writers, but um, I know you had a couple more that you wanted to talk about, Mary, who are yeah, carrying so, uh, the mantle. Yeah. So one that I really enjoy, um, who we've never even, I don't think we've even talked about her is Jocelyn Jackson. I think um, she's done a few books in the last uh, years that I've really liked Gods in Alabama, um, Almost Sisters, she wrote. So there, if, if you ever have a chance, yeah, if you ever have a ch chance, uh, I, would, I would check her out from the library or from your local uh, bookstore. Uh, she's really, she's, she's an entertaining read and she's an entertaining woman. She's very funny. Um, you know, I've seen checking. a couple. She is. Oh, so um, I think I told you she wasn't on the list of the top 100 Southern. Oh. But she is. And it's Jocelyn Jackson, someone else's love story. I haven't read that one. Have you read that? I haven't either. No. By William Morrow. We need to check that one out. I'm going to put that on my okay. um, reserve pile at the library because I can do curbside pickup at my library books now. Yay. Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> That's very, very exciting for me. Jasmine right. Ward is on here twice. Yes, she has. Um, so she wrote Sing Unburied Sing. Yep. Uh, and then she has a new one. I don't know if that's probably on your on your list, but she uh, wrote Navigate Your Stars, which we did bring up a couple weeks ago in a previous episode. Yeah, that would be a perfect graduation gift book. It's funny, mm -hmm. um, Sing Unburied Sing was beautiful, but the two that are on this list are Salvage the Bones and oh, that Men yeah, that one. Which I and then we reaped. Men we reaped. Men re yeah. Well, obviously I can't get the title right. So yeah, I don't know that one at all. But this is an interesting list. There's a lot of Flannery O'Connor, a lot of Mark Childress, Eudora Weltley, Truman Capote, Pat Conrad. My dear Pat is on here four or five times. For the Prince of Tides, the death of Santini, the great Santini. Mm. So that's such a good story. Yeah. Oh, John Grisham is on here. I think one time really? referred to him as the lawyer guy. <laughs> yep. The lawyer guy. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, but that makes sense. A lot of his books take place in in the South. Yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. Yep. Tennessee, Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. That whole yeah. This is an interesting list. I will try to link to this. Um because there are some great ones. There are some older ones that I remember reading like 20, 30 years ago. Ellen Foster by Kay Gibbons. Did you ever read oh, that I one? I don't there? think I read that book. No. And Cold Sassy Tree. Oh, I loved that book by uh, Olive Ann Burns. I just thought about that book the other day. And, and I, I think, a, oh, it was actually yesterday. Really? I was, I was, yeah, I was reading something and it made me giggle. And I, I remember I hadn't giggled that way. And I just, for some reason, I thought about cold, sassy tree, about them putting oatmeal in the car, <laughs> get it going. And there's return to cold, sassy too. She did two kind of, you know, they both would stand alone, but, mm -hmm. but it's two in the series. Oh, I should redig. I think I have an old copy of cold, sassy tree on my, I have a Southern favorites bookshelf. I will take a picture oh, of that and do. post it to our Instagram. Yeah, some of my Southern favorites. That would favorites. be great. Yeah, I'll post it. I don't know it. if I have, I don't know if I have that, that bookshelf. Well, you know, speaking about like Southern literature, uh, 
you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like books that have been turned into movies and there is a new show on Netflix called Sweet Magnolias, which is based off a book series by Cheryl Woods. Um, Cheryl Woods is, she's a writer. She's done a lot of series. Uh, I think she's actually Harlequin. I think that's her publisher. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And she did also Chesapeake Shores, which is a show on the Hallmark Channel. But yeah, Sweet Magnolias is on Netflix and I binged watch all 10 episodes. I was going to say, you've, so you've completed, I've completed it I've too. I've completed it. What, what do you think? Okay. Now, Mary knows I have thoughts on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I so do. I live where the show fictitiously is taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have some problems with, because wherever they taped it was not the low country. There's no live oaks. There's no Spanish moss hanging from the trees. The Southern accents are really bad, like really bad. They're so artificial. And as and I were talking, like there are, act, there are Southern actors. There are lots of them. You could plug some of them into these shows. But having said all that, I thought it was really cute and I enjoyed it. And I too watched all 10 mm-hmm. episodes in probably three days. Huge cliffhanger at the end. So I hope there's a season two. I hope so too. I mean, I, I wonder if there will be, yeah, there was a huge cliffhanger, a couple of them. Yeah. And I like how, um, I love the relationship between the friends. I love the three women, Mm -hmm. the friendship and the um, kind of dynamic of those three women. I think that is super great. Right. I don't know if it wouldn't have been quarantine. If I wouldn't be stuck in my house, I don't know that I would have watched it. But I'm glad I did. Okay. I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I I probably my mom watched it and she really liked it. Uh, I watched it. I liked it. You know, it was it was something to pass the time. Because sometimes I just don't. I just want something a little bit more mindless. Yes, brain candy. Not too complicated. <laughs> yeah, and I'll admit it. I sometimes just like wholesome content. Yeah. You know, oh, for sure. Whenever I see the Mar Vista logo at the beginning of a, a TV movie. I'm just, I, I, I literally just like pump my fist in the air and say, yes, that's, that's what I'm looking for at that moment. I know my kids tease me because like my worst swear word, like if I stub my toes in the eye, I always say sugar. And um, like, that's, <laughs> as, that's as mean as it gets. So that's as ugly as it gets. And so they're like, oh, Lord, is- they might swear on this show. I don't think you should watch it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is not my worst swear word. <laughs> but we are, we, are, we are a PG. We are a non-explicit podcast. Yes, Did we you are. Did your mom read the books by Cheryl Woods? I'm curious if you read the books because I have not read those books. no. No, I didn't even know it was a series until I started looking into it a little bit more. Uh, and that's when I found out that it was written by the same person that read Chesapeake Shores. Now, I've read a couple of those books. Okay. Yeah, I think that, I think people were enjoying them. I think people who read the books enjoyed the a little, sh- the show more than I did. So yeah. um, I think, and I do... I like those books when you go back and you visit the same characters. You know, Mary Alice Monroe writes oh, yeah. about a lot of the same people. They, they stand alone, but, but if you want to follow the family, I love those books. I really do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do too. I like I like that. Um, I don't know if I'll pick up that book. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. I'm not going to definitely seek it out, but if, you know, one day when we're no longer in quarantine and I'm in a bookstore and if I see it, yeah. I may consider it. Yeah. I know that my problem now is I kind of feel like I know the story and there's so yeah. many other books to read. I wouldn't, I don't think I would pick it up, not because I don't think it was a good story, but because I know that story now. So I'm going to move yeah. on to the next one. Right. I didn't love it enough to be like, okay, I need to now read it. Right. Or so, read the next in the series. So. I think Sweet Magnolia was kind of for, you know, our demographic, your mom, like, you know, mm -hmm. women from whatever, 30 to 60, 30 to 70, whatever. There is another Southern miniseries. I'm pretty sure it was Netflix called Outer Banks. Oh, yes. That's on now, Netflix. We are not their target audience. Let me just preface this by saying. <laughs> I have not watched it. <laughs> oh my gosh. My kids will be mortified. So my husband and I watched the whole thing. Okay. Um, Again, so it was filmed in our town. It was filmed in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which anyone who knows geography knows that that is not the Outer Banks. <laughs> the Outer Banks is a specific place in North Carolina. And um, actually why they didn't film there was political, which I won't get into. They, they made a choice not to give North Carolina their money, the film production company. Oh, sure. And so they came to South Carolina and um, I think there were seven or eight episodes. I'm not... I don't remember. There were quite a few episodes, but we watched it for the beautiful scene or scenery of the low country. It was, they were out on the boats all the time and in the marshes and at the beach. It was just a beautifully shot show. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see, like there was Pitt street and the old village. And, you know, it was fun to see where you live, but that little mini series that, that one, you know, one season of this show infused the Charleston County economy with 50 million dollars wow yeah and they're coming back there's going to be a season two of outer banks Hold well you're, your you're the second <laughs> you're the second person to bring up outer banks uh to me a friend of mine said that her and her husband like binge watch it this past weekend they just could not stop watching it so yeah again it's so funny like there's some big errors you know they get off of a ferry and they go to unc to the library <laughs> Well, UNC is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's not on the ocean. You can't take yeah. a ferry. <laughs> you cannot take a ferry to Chapel Hill. Um, and again, the Southern accents are, when present, horrible. Like they're really mm -hmm. poorly done. But if you want to get a taste for low country life and how beautiful the natural surroundings of this area are, it is a phenomenal show to watch. It really right. is. And it's, it's for the tween teen set. Like it's not marketed to grownups. But it's, so it's, it's, it's not marketed to the 35 to 45 set. <laughs> it is not. And we are, we are well outside of that set, even on the other end. So, so you know, my kids, the kids know a lot of people who were in it. Everybody down here was an extra, you know, so it was fun. You were looking sure. at their classes and stuff like that. But Truly, the scenery, it, it's so beautiful. And it was really shot well. Um, oh, that's and good. I think that's another thing that holds true with Sweet Magnolias, too. I love how the town was kind of a character in it. I think that's true of Southern literature. I think right. that's true of Southern dramas. I think that's true of Southern art of all kinds. The place is so important. So important to us here. 
Right. And I think, I mean, I think that's why I like Southern literature so much because I do really value community and family. Um, and there's no like Northern equivalent. There's no, like, we don't have Northern literature, right? You know, like there's Southern literature. We, there's no New England literature or West Coast literature. It is a, an American product that, or I should say an American culture that we have um, with literature that's very unique to us. And I think that's one way to, one way to, to see it. Yeah. Uh, and I now, think, you know, bringing yeah. out the positives, right? That it is that sense of community mm -hmm. and that, you know, when y'all were down here and we sat out, I had a big front porch at my house in Charleston. And, uh, um, you know, I remember Rachel, one of our other friends, um, Rachel, who said, you know, she's like, I have never sat on a front porch before. And I'm just like, girl, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this is where we sit all the time. This is like another room of the house. <laughs> and she's like, no, seriously, never, never have I. And, um, and so it is like people walk by, you say, Hey, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. is, it is, we've still got a long way to go politically. Oh yeah. Diversity. I am not saying at all that the South is perfect. Please do not hear me saying that, but there are some very lovely things about it. There are some right. not lovely things too, but we're going to choose to focus on the sunny side of the street today. And you know what? You can say that about the North as well. Yeah. So. Everywhere. Cause we are yeah. all made up of people and none of us are perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But so. There are some perfectly lovely Southern literature. I would encourage all readers. If you have not read Conroy, Jocelyn Jackson, Eudora Weltley, um, Patty Callahan, Henry, you know, there's just so many, there's so many, it is well mm -hmm. it's worth your time to read. Right. I agree. I agree. Especially some of these new authors that are coming out. Keep your eye on them. Uh, I think that you're going to see a lot of successful, diverse authors coming out of the South in the Telling next great stories. 10, 15 stories or 10, yeah. 15 years. Yes. Yeah. Telling great stories. Well, that, it, we're going to wrap it up for tonight, Mary. Um, it was great chatting with you again. And it was we great have chatting with you. Lots of new books to encourage people mm -hmm. to read. So, I, and they're all backlist. Some of them are so far backlist that you can get them for free, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the copyright is done on that. <laughs> it has expired. <laughs> well, until next time, Mary, happy reading. Happy reading. This has been another episode of the Bookish Besties podcast. Bookish Besties is a production of Tidal Wave Books, LLC, and is hosted by Diane Barnett and Mary Meist, produced by Lily Barnett. Find us on Instagram at Bookish Besties Podcast. Thank you for joining us in talking about all things bookish. We will see you next time.